0: Welcome back to Sin Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Today we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. It reads, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. through whom are all things, and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food is really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. So as we look at this very brief chapter we have here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 today, we see that Paul is focusing in on a specific historic situation that was impacting the church at Corinth. And it's our job here as someone about 2,000 years later to put ourselves back into that situation to understand what's going on and to understand how significant this issue was for the individuals who are experiencing it. That task is made a little bit more difficult by the fact that we don't really deal with this type of an issue today. We don't really have food that's offered to idols and temples, and so we don't really fully understand the significance of what's going on. But there are two other situations that I think we might understand a little bit more into what Paul is looking at by looking at the situations that might take place in our modern times. So if we had an individual who struggled with gambling for a long time, we One of the most insensitive places for us to invite that person or to go in that person's presence would be someplace like a casino or even on a cruise ship walking into a casino or doing anything really that puts that person into a situation where gambling comes back to the forefront of their mind. Or it could be like if we had a person who struggled with eating too much or gluttony and we took that person to a buffet. It would be very insensitive to put them in a place where their temptation to sin or temptation to fall back into a lifestyle that they no longer want to be in would be more prevalent for them had you not done that or been in that place with them. So as they think about this situation with food offered to idols, these were individuals who had once offered food to idols and had once been in a place where they made sacrifices and then ate of those sacrifices in the temples for these different idols. They would have all had their own set of traditions and their own set of practices. They would have been similar to what the Jewish people did, as they sought to adhere to the Mosaic Covenant and the sacrificial system that was there. And so when we look back at that, we see that the priests were able to eat of the meals That were offered, and that's how they received their portion. And so it could be that some of these people were even priests in that type of a practice, but more than likely, a lot of them were just common folk who participated in that sacrifice and then ate of the sacrifices that were there. And so it was significant for these individuals that they would do this practice as a part of their worship. But when we look at this situation that they're talking about now, there would be times where they would make a sacrifice, and as they made the sacrifice, they would do something with that meat that was left, often taking it down to the marketplace, to be sold to other people. So the Gentile believers that were in this area of Corinth were very sensitive to not buying meat that had been sacrificed to idols. They did not desire to be brought back into that mindset or that lifestyle that they had previously come out of. And so a big part of that was the Greek and Roman beliefs of the time taught that these spiritual beings could attach themselves to these meats. And as they attached themselves to the animals or to the meats, they had to go through this sacrificial process to separate that evil spirit from that food and to gain favor with the gods that they sought to appease. So this was a pretty significant process and a pretty significant habit for these individuals as they sought to distance themselves from this former pagan style of worship, and so it's a significant issue that Paul is addressing. And while we may not understand everything that he's talking about, and we may not experience it in our day, verse 9 really shows us the significant focus of this chapter for us. But we take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. It's this concept that we consider the needs of others more important than our own rights and privileges. That is a hallmark of being an individual believer, and being a redeemed person is understanding that your actions in the way in which you live, in the way in which you interact with other people around you, has an opportunity to either pull people to Christ or push people from Christ. And so as they made insensitive decisions, what they were really doing was creating barriers between themselves and these other young believers. And so they knew that there was nothing significant in the process. They knew that there was nothing that was marking their conscience to say that it was wrong. But for these individuals who had a sensitive conscience in this situation, they really wanted to be able to go above and beyond to make sure that they were not doing anything to cause them to stumble. That's significant because of what's taking place. It's significant because of the way in which they're allowing these individuals to grow in their faith rather than to be pushed away from this process. And so if you remember, we talked a little bit about this in our Roman series with Ursula. We talked about how our decisions and our liberties and things with our phones or entertainment or other things like that could get in the way of individuals understanding the real heart behind the gospel and could be building up barriers around our opportunity to be a light in the world. And so that similar concept is taking place here at the church at Corinth, and Paul is addressing it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. As far as a question from this text, let's look back at verse 5. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. What is it that Paul is actually saying here? Is he saying that there are actually multiple gods, multiple deities, and we only believe in one? Or is he saying that there is something else going on with this? As we think about this, it's important, and even in my text, we have some quotations around the word gods and around the word lords, and we also have other quotations that we see throughout this chapter where it's showing that there's these words that are being used. And the specific nature of those words is what is being called into question and what is being focused on here. And so as we talk about these gods and lords, it's here in this context of the idols in this false and pagan worship that's happening. So we know that there are no other gods really there. But that's not denying the fact that there were maybe demonic or evil spirits that were present in that area and these individual spirits would have had the ability to do some small things They would have possibly displayed that there was some sort of higher power going on, that there was something unique or some other manifestation of things taking place. And so we know that when those types of situations occur, that it creates some sort of belief in the power of that evil spirit. Those evil spirits can do small things in a small location as they are not omnipotent, as they are not all present either. They cannot do those things all over. So possibly in a small region, they could make a small impact, causing people to worship or causing people to follow, causing people to focus on their ability to do those things. So Paul says, hey, there may be these types of things that are on our earth that are present around these situations, but there's only really one God. There's only one who does all things and who really exists in our lives. And Jesus is a part of that. So he focuses on that there in verse 6. So Jesus is God, and he is the one whom all things and for whom we exist. It is not these other situations, these other false gods. We can look back even at other places in the scriptures to think about how the Bible portrays these idols. Psalm 115 provides one of these. It reads, "'Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nation say, Where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk.' and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. When we think about what this psalm is saying, it talks about the fruitlessness of following these idols. They're fake. They're not real. They have no true power or abilities. When we think about what that's saying here in the context of 1 Corinthians, we understand that there might be evil spirits at play that may have Been significant to these individuals in their worship. They may have seen some small attestation of that demonic or evil spirit doing something. And in doing so, that may be a huge struggle for them. And so, Paul wants us to understand that as we sit and we see what he was challenging the Corinthian believers to do that they should be considering the needs of those persons, not putting themselves back into the situations where they would have a weak conscience and possibly be drawn back into the worship of these vain and useless things, or be drawn away from God in any sort of process by what the decisions the believers make. And so as we walk through that, as always, we say, hey, look at this passage. We know it's a very short passage this week, and so there may not be other significant questions that you have in this process of examining the chapter that you're seeking out to answer. But maybe you have questions for other people about, hey, what are some areas in your life that would be a weak place for your faith, or a place that if you went back into that type of thing, that it would draw you away from God? Have accountability with other people about that. Speak to them in the context of community to encourage them to hold you accountable for not putting yourself in those situations where you find that your faith is weak, not putting yourself into opportunities that you might have to stumble, but instead encouraging and building you up in the community of believers so that you are rightly ready to obey God and live your life in a freedom from sin and an obedience to Him. Know today you were loved.